Hello and welcome back to the Church of Jesus Christ study session with Come Follow Me. I'm your host Matthew Roberts and this is Series 3, Episode 335 of this daily study podcast. Thank you very much for listening today as we continue with our study of this week's Come Follow Me materials. We're covering the Articles of Faith and Official Declarations 1 and 2 in the week of December the 6th to December the 12th. And today we're going to begin looking at Official Declaration 1 which includes the manifesto uh, about plural marriage. Um, there is obviously a number of things to cover with this. And we have spoken about the, the principle of plural marriage and, um, and God's law of eternal marriage, which is different from plural marriage. Um, in When we spoke about Doctrine and Covenants, uh, section 120... Uh, oh, my word, I've forgotten what it was. Oh, sorry, 132... Um, but I think that it is still worth uh, just reviewing um, plural marriage, and in particular what state it was in in the late 1800s. Of course, uh, in around 1852, polygamy was kind of publicly accepted as a principle in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Up until that point, as discussed, uh, particularly with the persecution of the church in the area and just basically the uncertainty of the Prophet Joseph Smith himself. Uh, polygamy was being practiced as directed by the Lord, um, but it was being done so in a in a sacred and secret way, um, because just because it was something which he himself struggled with as well. Um, and it had become more and more accepted by until at the point in 1852 where it was announced uh, as a as a practice of the church and again it was not something which every single member of the church undertook it had to be done with acceptance by the the leadership of the church with each individual it had to be done in a in a proper and orderly way uh, and so even so it wasn't a free for all it was it was accepted and seen as a principle that was lived by some uh, but it was something which was still done very orderly. However, um, changes in the law in the in the United States uh, started making this law very difficult. Um, and this, of course, meant that there were some difficulties for the saints. And in the early 1880s, uh, there was a, a law or a, an act passed called the um, the Edmonds Act, I believe it was called, uh, and it meant that in, there was a lot of rights that were taken away from individuals who were practicing polygamy, um, and people were sent to prison, and uh, fines were given, and um, the right to, to vote to, for women was taken away from those women, despite Utah being very, uh, very forward-thinking and very early in the adoption of allowing and supporting the, the right to vote for women um, and a number of other things as well. And then in 1888, there was kind of a, a culminating point with the Edmunds Tucker Act, which uh, kind of built upon that previous act, because it was, to be fair, even before eight, the early 1880s, I believe it was 1882, um, there were some laws and acts put by the, the government, which weren't really uh, full fully enforced. But then it was the uh, the 1880s that it became very difficult uh, for the church to continue living in it and um, accepting the, the practice of polygamy. 
And so in the late 1880s, um, 1880 to 1890, um, a lot of persecution started taking place because this Edmunds Tucker Act was specifically directed at the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and it disincorporated the church, meaning that it couldn't function. It couldn't, um, there was specific things given, like um, the, the, the claiming of church properties that were over $50,000, which meant all temples uh, would not be able to be used. Um, the actual um, arrest, arresting of the leaders of the church uh, who were practicing this law uh, and many church leaders had to go into hiding for a short while, um, and all these other things. There was just a lot of uh, difficult um, consequences because of this Edmunds Tucker Act. Now, of course, some may look at that uh, historical context and go, well, basically what happens then is that the church folded to the um, government um, law, which meant that they couldn't do what they wanted to do. Um, but there was a lot more to this. And if you look at the revelations in context, uh, it gives a lot of background to this. Now, speaking about the day that the um, the manifesto was given, I found this particularly interesting. Um, it's in a, in a chapter called The Messenger and the Manifesto, and it says, quote, At that time, conference speakers were not informed in advance when they would speak. The president of the church made assignments in the moment as he felt impressed. No one prepared talks beforehand. Several of the speakers came to the conference with a brief outline tucked in their scriptures, but many others came with no notes at all, counting on the hope of the Holy Spirit to fill their minds when they heard the prophet call their name. Close quote. I think that's, first of all, a very fascinating insight and a very terrifying prospect. I mean, we have moments where I'm sure you've had, you know, the odd occasion where a visiting authority, whether it's a state president or a perhaps a bishop or, or someone like that, um, just feels impressed to ask someone to share that testimony in a sacrament meeting. I've seen it happen a handful of times before. Well, imagine that happening at general conference. That would be absolutely uh, terrifying, I think. But um, in this case, President George Q. Cannon, who was the first counsellor in the first presidency, who I assume, you know, came prepared with some thoughts on what to share in a talk. However, he was asked by uh, President Wil Wilford Woodruff to basically announce uh, the manifesto and speak on it or kind of give a clarifying statement on it. Uh, it had just been read by uh, Orson F. Whitney, a Salt Lake City bishop. Uh, and so and then President Woodruff turned to him uh, and asked him to, to, to speak on it. Uh, and this was obviously a very difficult moment. And I think that... Um, this moment, we 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 sometimes um, don't quite understand just how momentous this was and the impact uh, that um, it would have going forward. It continues, quote, the, the saints had practiced plural marriage for half a century. Women and men had anguished over the decision to enter a principle that was alien to their religious upbringings and inclinations. They had suffered personal and collective isolation, harassment and imprisonment for the principle, but they had also accepted plural marriage as God's command to the church. They believed the practice refined their souls and defined their peculiarity in the eyes of the world. What would define them now? Present canons surely knew that wholesale changes in self-definition would not be easily made. The anguish of exiting plural marriage would rival the challenge of entering into it, close quote. 
again, looking back with our 21st century eyes, which is very often, very often a flawed exercise, you would think that um, this uh, decision by the leaders of the church would be a relief to many members because of the difficulties that were coming the church's way because of their um, their decision to continue uh, living plural marriage. But actually, it was probably going to be far more difficult to exit it um, because, well, I mean, the idea um, continues here where it says, quote, after Bishop Whitney read the document, the conference has voted with an uplifted hand to sustain it as authoritative and binding upon the church. Most voted in the affirmative, but some kept their hands in their laps, unready to accept the manifesto as the will of God. From the stand, church leaders looking out saw on the audience, saw husbands and wives weeping, anxious and uncertain, not knowing what the manifesto meant for them going forward, close quote. We forget that families were living this law, huge families. And so what would that mean for them going forward? And Wilf, President Wilford Woodruff had to, and actually many a number of presidents of the church going forward, had to issue clarifying statements after this manifesto on a number of matters. Firstly, about, you know, some individuals just abandoning, abandoning some wives and children because of the manifesto, which isn't what is said. Uh, it, it, and we'll look at exactly what the manifesto says uh, late in a bit. Uh, but the idea that um, they shouldn't leave their families behind. And also, some people still continued living this law despite the manifesto. And President Wilford Woodruff and a few other presidents of the church in, in later years had to issue further statements stating that the church does not accept or, or practice the, the law of polygamy or plural marriage anymore. Um, the reasons given for why it was lived was, of course, to raise a righteous seed. And the reasons given for why it was chosen to not continue is because the Lord didn't want his church to continue. And despite there being further righteous seed and further refinement happening to the saints during this time, at this point, it was at a stage where the church had to adapt this policy doctrine to be able to continue growing and um, and uh, and living beyond the borders of the state of Utah, and, and in fact, be, being able to continue within the borders of the state or the territory of Utah at this stage. Uh, and it was a very difficult moment for the members of the church to accept it. And I would like to add um, something as well, that this uh, official declaration one was then brought into the Doctrine and Covenants and canonized in 1908. And that'll be very important in a point that I'll make tomorrow when we actually look at this manifesto as well. Thank you very much for listening to, uh, to this. Um, I, I'm not going to be able to cover all the co contents and the whole manifesto itself. So please do continue your study and I'd love to hear your thoughts. Please do uh, share your thoughts on Facebook, Church of Jesus Christ Study Session with Come Follow Me. And you can also email ldsstudysession at gmail.com. Thank you very much for your time and until we meet again.